Welcome to the College Investor Audio Show, where we talk about the biggest issues impacting millennial money, from student loan debt to side hustles to building wealth. We will show you how to get out of debt so that you can build real wealth for the future. If you want to go and start investing in stocks but have no clue where to start, I've been there. And that's why this podcast exists to tell you about the easiest way to start investing in stocks, like right now, because now is the best time to do it. This guide gives you a step-by-step instruction to invest in your first stock market account. This is so exciting. (laughs) So this is the College Investor Audio Show. We're so excited for you to be a part of this. Now, first of all, let's go ahead and create a gap between your income and expenses. If you want to start investing in stocks, that's what you're going to need to do just to have some discretionary income ready to invest. That means you need a gap between your income and expenses. Without one, you'll be teetering on the edge of financial stability. We don't want that. And you may end up even cashing out your investments to pay for necessary expenses or even debt, eek. To increase the gap, you'll either need to increase your income or decrease your expenses, or both. Different experts offer different recommendations on whether to focus on the income part of it or the expense side of the equation. Personally, I've had the most luck with containing most expenses with the exception of childcare, of course, and focusing on growing my income. But others find that cutting expenses is the fastest way to grow the gap. Whether you're more focused on income or expenses, totally, it's valuable to keep an eye on expenses using an app like this. Emma? Clarity Money or Personal Capital. Either of those three are going to help you out tremendously in this area. So here are some goals to accomplish before you actually start investing. Once you've created a gap between income and expenses, you may be ready to start investing, but there might be some financial goals to accomplish before you start doing that. Here are a few things to consider crossing off your list. Got a piece of paper? A pen? Do people still use those? Or open up your notepad on your phone. Okay, number one, pay off credit card debt and other high interest debt. If your debt has an interest rate above 10%, hmm, you'll probably get a better rate paying off your debt rather than investing in stocks. Uh, If the interest on your debt is between 5 and 10%, you may want to split your money between investing and debt payoff. Number two, save a starter emergency fund. It's impossible to plan for every expense. Totally get it. So an emergency fund can help you avoid debt. The recommended amount for a full emergency fund is three to six months of expenses, but that can take a year or two to save up for. Make a goal to save $1,000 to $3,000 in cash in the next two months. That cushion will help you avoid financial catastrophes. Trust me, this works. (laughs) And when you have that in your bank account, so much stress just falls off your shoulders. Nice to know you got three grand in the bank. Okay, next, decide whether you need cash for an upcoming expense. So stock market investing is one of the surest paths to wealth. But it's not the only financial goal you should have. If you want to start a business, pay for more formal education, or maybe just get through an expensive season of life, Those may be more important than investing in stocks. Okay, now, decide your why. Focus on the why you're investing in stocks. 
Most people who invest in stocks are interested in a sustainable path to building wealth. That's great. At least one of their major financial goals is 10 or more years away, and they're content to slowly build towards that goal. The stock market is a great place to build wealth over time. It's a horrible place to get rich quick. <laughs> now, some good reasons to invest in stocks include this. You want to retire in a decade or more. You want to help your kids pay for college starting in five or 10 years. You want to become financially independent. You also may want to prudently grow money from a windfall, such as an inheritance, the sale of a home, the sale of a business, etc. Here are some bad reasons to invest in stocks. You think you can pick the next Google. Yeah, right. <laughs> Day trading reminds you of video games. Or you need to make a lot of money right now. It is extremely unlikely that you'll win the Powerball and pick the next Google. Some people make money through day trading, but many people lose money, and stock market returns range from 7 to 10% over long periods of time, sometimes up to 12%, but sometimes the market loses money too. So most people don't make money quickly in the stock market. I don't say these things to encourage you or discourage you from learning and experimenting on your investment journey. You may be the person who picks the next Google, or you may be the next stock market wizard, but most likely your returns will be average. So it's good to set that as an expectation up front. Select a type of an investment account. So once you've decided why you're going to invest, it's time to open up that account. An investment account is the financial account that holds your investments. There are three major types of investment accounts in the US. We're gonna outline the major account types, but there are a myriad variations on these. As a beginner, you'll probably want to use one of these accounts. That said, if you're a beginner with hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, <laughs> consult with a fiduciary financial advisor who can help you with your investment strategy. Retirement accounts. Okay, so retirement accounts are investment accounts that come with tax advantages. They also come with creditor protection in some states, so they are a very low risk way to build wealth. The only drawback to using retirement accounts is that the money is somewhat locked up. If you withdraw money before age 59 and a half, you might face a 10% early withdrawal penalty. That means you have to be careful before you decide to invest in these accounts. Some of the most common retirement accounts include the following. Employer-sponsored retirement accounts. Now, employer-sponsored accounts include a 401k, a 403b, or the government TSP. Often, your employer will provide a match on the funds you invest. So for example, if you invest 6% of your salary, your employer may offer a 3% match on top of that. Woo, yes. All of these accounts offer a pre-tax advantage. That means you will not pay taxes on the funds going into the account, but you will have to pay taxes when you withdraw the funds. Eek. So if you withdraw funds before 59 and a half, You'll pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty on top of the income taxes you'll have to pay. Boy, keep that in mind. The maximum you can set aside in these accounts is $19,500 per account type per year. If you're over 56, you can put an additional $6,500 per year. Some employer-sponsored plans offer a Roth version of the plan. The Roth version means that you pay taxes on the funds you put into the account. So you'll never have to pay taxes on those funds again. 
Generally, you'll want to invest in an employer-sponsored retirement account to at least take advantage of the employer's match. Let's talk about a Roth IRA. It's an individual retirement account. You'll pay income taxes on the money you put into the account. But once it's in the account, it grows. And you'll never have to pay taxes on it again. Even better, you can withdraw contributions to this account penalty-free at any point. The maximum you can set in these accounts is $6,000 per person per year. You can contribute up to $1,000 additional dollars to the account if you're over 56. Once you open up a Roth, you can invest in just about anything you want, including stocks, bonds, mutual funds, exchange-traded funds or ETFs, real estate investment trusts, uh, REITs, and even options in some even options in some cases. It's crazy. There are income limits on the Roth IRA. You can contribute the full amount if you earn less than $124,000 as a single person or $196,000 if you're married filing jointly. You can have both a Roth IRA and an employer-sponsored retirement plan. Once you contribute up to the match in your employer-sponsored plan, it makes sense to start maxing out your Roth IRA. A traditional IRA is a pre-taxed account for people who don't have access to employer-sponsored retirement accounts. The maximum you can set in these is $6,000 per person per year, just like the Roth IRA. But you can contribute $7,000 if you're over 56. Here are some other retirement accounts you may have heard of. If you're self-employed, you may want to consider an individual 401k, a SEP IRA, or a simple IRA, and these are basically workplace retirement accounts for sole proprietors. A standard brokerage account. If you're not investing for retirement, or maybe you don't want the money locked up like that, you may be interested in a standard brokerage account. These are accounts that don't have tax advantages. Some standard accounts is one where you can put money in and buy and sell stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and you may be able to automatically invest money by setting up a basic routine. Robo-advisors. These are accounts that do the investing for you. They select the investments and rebalance the portfolio regularly. For completely hands-off investing, whew, that's the best option. We've talked about different accounts. Now, let's open an account and then fund it. Once you've decided the type of account, it's time to open it, of course. So for employer-sponsored retirement accounts, talk to your HR rep. For all other accounts, you might need some help. We have a list of the top brokerages, and you can see it at thecollegeinvestor.com. Once you do that, after you open the account, you should be able to electronically transfer funds to the account. Once you send the money, you should see that the money is available as cash or some other investment. Once you see the money in your account, you can start investing. Cool. Choose your first investment. This is where we have some fun. When it comes to investing in stocks, there are thousands of options in the U.S. alone. It's overwhelming. So once you look to the international borders, the number increases to the tens of thousands. And on top of that, there are funds which invest in baskets of stocks. With so many options, what should you choose the most important piece of advice that I can offer you is that done is better than perfect. If you invest in anything, you'll be better off than if you invest in nothing, most likely. 
a common recommendation is that first-time investors should pick to or should stick to investing in index funds. Okay, so these are funds that mimic a stock market index such as the S&P 500, which is a basket of the 500 largest stocks in the U.S. Most major brokerages offer mutual funds or exchange-traded funds, ETFs, and they're meant to mimic core indexes. Here are some of the core indexes to consider in your portfolio. Just mentioned it, the S&P 500, the S&P mid-cap. This tracks the performance of 400 mid-sized companies in the U.S., and it's weighted by the size of the companies in terms of the value of the stocks. S&P small-cap tracks the performance of 600 small companies in the U.S. It's weighted by the size of the companies, or, you know, by the value of the stocks. S&P Total U.S. Stock Market. This is an index that tracks the performance of all publicly traded companies in the U.S. MSCI Emerging Markets. Going to say some countries here. It's going to be a list. Just, just FYI. This tracks the total stock market performance of these countries. Argentina, Brazil, Chile, China, a few others. Pac- <laughs> Mexico, Pakistan, Peru, a few others. Uh, South Africa, Taiwan, Turkey, and the United Arab Emirates. That's just a few. There are more to that list. The MSCI developed markets. It includes Australia, Austria, Belgium, etc., Switzerland, the UK, and the US. And to invest in these, you'll need to find the ticker symbol for the desired index fund and opt to buy it through your brokerage. All right, enough of that stuff. Now it's time to automate the investments. This is when it gets really cool. Getting your first investment is such an amazing accomplishment. But if you want to grow wealthy and become a millionaire, hey, anybody can become a millionaire. I'm serious. It it can happen. You will need to continue investing over time. I recommend this. Automatically investing a portion of your income each paycheck or each month. Most investment platforms make this extremely easy to do. And once you start this process, (laughs) you'll probably find that you don't miss the money that you're investing. Ideally, as you grow your income, you can make a point to invest more automatically. I also suggest taking a percentage. Some people say 15% of your income. Just go ahead, make that number, and let it happen. Maybe it's 10% of your income, whatever that percentage is. That way, as your income grows, you know, so are your investments. I hope this was helpful. It's, I know it was kind of a lot to pack into a little tiny podcast. So if you have ever have any questions about investing, this is the College Investor Audio Show. And the collegeinvestor.com was built on this stuff. So there are tons of resources, articles, reviews, brokerages, the best of this, the best of that, all of it you can find. Again, it's thecollegeinvestor.com. So awesome having you a part of this. Thanks for stopping by today, and we'll talk to you again very soon.